Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We're going to stay here in this chapter, really. First um, John chapter 1, verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse Eight, let's let's, just keep going. If we claim to be without sin, uh, the King James says to have no sin. The New King James says, if we claim to have no sin, I like that version better, but if we claim to be without sin or to have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You notice the difference. On the one hand, we're not living out the truth. Now he says, if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not inside of us. If we, however, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned in the past, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Man, that is the rest of chapter one. And um, within, within this chapter already, we're, we've already begun to explore what it means to walk in the light. Last week, uh, I talked about alignment and some things that get us out of alignment with, with, with our head, who is Jesus. And one of those things is trauma. Trauma happens in our life. It's not our fault, but it happens, and it often pulls us out of alignment. And especially how we react to the trauma and what we choose to believe coming out of that trauma, whether it's uh, we talked about some serious stuff last week, sexual abuse, uh, verbal abuse, physical abuse, uh, spiritual abuse. Uh, Some toxic churches can put some trauma on you and get some church, some pastor PST. Uh, PSD, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just the truth. And so oftentimes what happens is trauma is used in our life, but trauma cannot be an excuse for further misalignment with God. When God brings it into the light, he asks us to walk into the light. And one thing, just talking from last Sunday, I'll tell you, I've had uh, more than one person send me a text message or come up and talk to me and actually meet with Ro and I and say, I have some trauma I need to bring into the light. And I'm so encouraged by that. That's something I challenged you all. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, just go ahead and challenge them. Not everybody's gonna take you up on the challenge, but a couple people will. And I'm so encouraged because when you bring your trauma into the light, your trauma starts to lose its grip on you, starts to lose its power on you. And now you have somebody else to speak truth to your trauma. Somebody else to speak truth to what you're going through. And so uh, anyway, uh, if I can be that for you, I'll be that. If God convicted you last Sunday and you still haven't done it yet, there's still time. You're still breathing. Apparently, there's still an opportunity for you to bring things into the light because they survive. Darkness loves sin. It loves trauma. It loves wounds. It loves hurt. And it survives in the dark. But when you bring it into the light, it loses its power. It loses its grip on you. And it doesn't all fairy tale magically go away. 
but you then have, a, have an upper hand on dealing with it and moving forward. So that's why John says, bring it into the light, whether it's trauma or whether it is your sin. Notice here, uh, just in, in, in this passage, in this chapter, you have three if we's. You have three if we's, and uh, th that's not good English, but uh, the three if we's, the first one is if we claim to have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, we're lying and not living out the truth. Yeah, if we want to put that verse up there, uh, verse five, if you go up to verse five, if we claim to have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, we are lying and not living out the truth. Well, who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to Christians. This letter was not written to pagans. This letter wasn't written to people who are far from God or outside the church. He's talking to people who are inside the church who believe themselves to be saved. And he's saying, look, if we, if we, us Christians, if we claim to have fellowship with God, but our walk is not in light, rather it's in darkness, we're lying. Well, what is the walk? The walk is the things that you do. The, the word for walk is often used for vocation in the New Testament. So it's literally your life. It's stuff you do, stuff you say. So here he's dealing with Christians who would say, you know what? I have fellowship with God. I'm a Christian. I just sin a little bit sometimes. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just indulge in this sometimes. I just have this particular addiction or this particular issue. But really, I'm in fellowship with God. And John is saying, you cannot be in fellowship with God and continue to walk in darkness. And so the, 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 the type of Christian he's talking to is the kind who says, look, I, 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 I believe in God in my mind, and I believe I'm saved kind of in my heart, but my life doesn't reflect that. My life looks exactly like the lives of people who don't believe in God. And John says to you, you're lying and you're not living out the truth. You're believing the truth in the inside. You have the truth in your brain, but you're not living it out. It's not going from your brain to your hands and to your feet. So your walk, so it really, in this case, your talk doesn't mean anything. It's your walk that speaks much louder than your talk. And John's talking to that Christian, and he's saying, look, you're not really in fellowship with Christ. Well, what do I do? How do I get into fellowship with Christ? Well, John tells us in the very next verse, he says, look, if, well, not the very next slide, but the very next verse, he says, Wow, okay. Uh, he, says, he says, if we walk in the light. So the, the key then to, the, to the, the sinning Christian, if you want to say that, the person who believes himself to be saved but continues to walk in darkness, the key then is this right here. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we're lying not living out the truth. But verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will purify us from all sin. So, so the answer to the person who continually sins, although believing in Jesus, is really simple. Stop walking in darkness, start walking in the light. You say, well, I can't do that. Well, uh, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know the trauma that I've had in my life. You don't know what I've faced in my life. That's true. I don't know all that stuff, but I know who God is. And I know that with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I know that the blood of Jesus is powerful to purify from all sin, no matter what addiction or sin that you have found yourself trapped in. And so the truth is, if we, if, if, like, he, he, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't add any addendums to that. 
There's no like, well, and if this is too hard, there's this other thing. If you meditate on this word and say it 10 times really fast, or if you learn this particular dance and then do it in the church, or if you sing, if you get into, if you go to a Hillsong conference and be flooded over with emotion, then it's, it's a little bit easier. But that's not what he says. He just says, look, this is the key to getting sin out of your life. You simply stop sinning and you start walking in the light in what you know to be true. Now, the, now the, the trick is, if, if you've had um, religious trauma, then your version of light is probably all jacked up. Because, you know, well, you have to wear a particular dress, you, have, you can't wear makeup, right? Because that's, that's it. And so the problem with, with some of us, we, we, need, we need to go back to the Word of God and actually see what God says is sin and what God doesn't say is sin. Because uh, half of us were, were made to feel guilty just for waking up in the morning, you know. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that's not in there. You don't have to get the anointing oil on your forehead every morning in order to be saved. Like, that's not, that's not, uh, this is, that's not. I'm just saying we're the worship team having conversations about their childhood. I'm just saying that's not of God. That's of man. Man made that up. It's not in the book. Nowhere is it in the book. And so there's all kinds of things that man has made up. There's all kinds of things that religion has made up and thrown extra shackles on top of us in order to make us feel guilty. But when you remove those things, what, and what's crazy about those cultures, they will, they will strain at a gnat, but they'll swallow a camel because on the one hand, they'll say, hey, you need, to, you, need to, you need to do this every single day. But the very thing that God says to do every single day, to give to the poor, how often does that happen? The very thing that God says to do, to walk in sexual purity, how often does that happen? It's crazy, the stuff that God has actually written about in his word, been very explicit about. We tend to be like, eh, that's just my hang up, or I just drink a little too much on the weekends. But it's weird, like that's a very serious thing, drinking too much on the weekends. Like it's very serious. No drunkard will find his place in the kingdom of heaven. It's very serious. It's right up there with murder. It's right up there with, with rape. It's right up there with sexual immorality. I mean, you know, drunkenness is right up there with all kinds of horrible things. And if somebody came to me and said, every weekend I get real close to murdering, just get real close. I'm right there. I got the knife and I'm just like, I don't know. Should I? It's just an artery. I don't know. I could just, you know. Like if somebody told me, I would be like, you have problems. You need, all your knives need to be, all the knives taken away, all your guns taken away. Like you have serious issues. But people are like, I got real close to being drunk the other night. And I'm like, what? And you're okay with that? Like you're just going to be like, oh, let's, let's go to the party next week. What? Oh, get, get all drink away from you. Get all alcohol away from you. Do you realize how close you are? Do you, do you realize how dangerous this is? And so on the one hand, we need to release some religious shackles. On the other hand, we need to come under the word of God and be like, I need to submit my entire life to this book right here. Like no amount of pornography is okay. None, not soft or hard or whatever you want to call it. Like none amount is okay. There is no such thing as lusting that's okay. Like it just doesn't work in the kingdom of God. And so we have to come under his word. So on the one hand, we can throw off some nonsense about stuff we wear and makeup. Ladies, just paint the barn every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, just do it just because it's, it's, it's for your good. It's for your husband's good. It's for it, the whole world will be appreciated. Sorry, I was quoting, I was quoting my pastor at that time. And he said, you got to paint the barn. That's, that's, first, that's first James Wright, chapter 5, verse 4. Um, but it's really just it's some of that silly stuff. We get hung up on that silly stuff, and then we allow all stuff that's not silly at all. And we know it. 
And the truth is, God says, if we walk in the light, and God would never say, if you can walk in the light. He said, if you will walk in the light, which means you can walk in the light. Oh, can I do it perfectly all the time, never mess up? I don't know, probably not. But why are, why are we debating that? Can you walk in the light right now? Can you make a decision right now? And so for those Christians, you're watching this from home and you're, you feel trapped in, in this, is, this is in physical sin. This has to do with your walk. Stuff you say, gossip, lying, stuff you do, stealing, uh, stuff you think, lusting, uh, stuff. This has to do with things you're actually, that are happening in your life on a daily basis or a regular basis. God says, look, you can set that aside and you can walk in the light. And you say, well, well I, I just don't believe I can. Well, that's because you've bought into the lie of the enemy. And so one of the cool things about Kairos a couple of weeks ago that we talked about was the power of the will. Because it's something that we don't address very often in church, but it's really, it's, it's the Christian superpower. It really is. The power of the human will, the power, your ability to decide something and carry it through regardless of obstacles. Like, and you don't even have to be a Christian to have this, actually. Like, Rose's been watching a lot of videos of guys who climb Mount Everest. It's crazy. Like, their lungs are, like, burning. They're, they're coughing up blood, and they're like, no, I'm fine. I'm still going up this mountain. They can't even breathe or talk or, like, and some of them die. And it's the power of the human will. We just finished a great show, not a Christian show, but it's called Clouds. I don't know if you saw that on, on the Disney app. Uh, it's based on a true story of this, I think he was a 17-year-old boy named Zach who, who uh, had lung cancer, and, and, he, and he wrote this song. Him and his friend decided, you know what, hey, let's actually write music, let's actually get on YouTube, and, and, it, and, it, and it, the song got really popular, and like a couple days after he died, it was the number one downloaded song on iTunes. It was a, it was a big deal, I guess, and, and it was just, it was just, it was, it was a beautiful story. So if you're looking for a nice, beautiful movie, it will make you cry, but, but it, you know, but it's, but, it, but it's a great, touching movie. And one, one of the things that he says at the end, it was actually in his college, um, his, his college uh, letter that he had written, acceptance letter or whatever, even though he was never going to make it to college, he said, you don't have to find out you're dying to start living. And you, know, and you watch this 17-year-old kid just, just plow through so many obstacles, so many other people would have sat down and said, well, I've been dealt a bad hand. I can't do that. I can't sing because I'm losing, literally my lungs aren't, aren't working anymore. I can't step up and do, like, and he's, I don't even, I don't even know if he was a Christian or not. I don't know. The, the movie wasn't about Jesus. It was, just, it was just about this kid who had a will and decided to do something. And that's what all of us have. We all have a will. And I know, you know, all of society is trying to tell you you don't, and you're a victim of your circumstance, or you're a victim of your skin color, or you're a victim of, of the, the side of the tracks you were born on. But it's not true. You are not a victim. You're not enslaved to anything. You have, God has given mankind free will. And I know to some people that's heresy, and I'm sorry if you think that's heresy, but truly, I mean, throughout Scripture, you can see free will. God creates this entire world, creates everything, creates man and wife in a garden. Everything's perfect, and he gives the man and the wife the opportunity to mess it all up. And he knows what's going to happen. He knows that if they sin, if they go against him, that he knows the, the, the suffering and the trauma and the, the thousands and thousands of years of evil that's going to follow after that. But God is so desiring real love. 
that he doesn't make robots. He makes people who can respond to him. He's so, in, he's so desiring relationship with us that he creates the capability for relationship, which is the power to choose. And so man and woman chose the wrong thing. And down through the ages, theologians call this original sin, the fact that because our great, 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 whatever ancestors chose the wrong thing, went against God, now we have within us this propensity to constantly go against God. But it doesn't change the fact that you have the power to choose. John says, look, if we will just walk in the light as he is in the light, then he. There's, do you notice, if we, then he. And that's really the opposite of how we generally think. We think, if he, then we. If he will just do something, then I will be able to to walk in the light. If he'll just take away this temptation, then I'll be able to walk in the light. If he will just align the circumstances, then I'll be able to walk in the light. If he would get my husband to do what he's supposed to do, then I would be able to... Well, anyway, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I should backtrack a little bit. If, if he would just get my wife to be the wife she's supposed to be, then I could be the husband I'm supposed to be then our home could be the home. But I'm waiting on God to do something in her so that our home can be what it's supposed to be. It's so interesting. We often put the if on God, put the if on her, put the if on the church, put the if on our society, put the if on the voting, polling stations, whatever. Like if this would align, then I could be who I'm supposed to be. But no, like the if, according to 1 John, is on us. If we walk in the light, then he, then his blood cleanses us. Is God waiting on us? Is God waiting on us to step into the promises that he's already made? I mean, he's already paved the way. He's already shed his blood. So he did take the first step. But now he's asking us to take the second step. There's a great scripture in, in, uh, in Mark. Actually, it's in a couple of gospels. And it's a, it's a famous story about a woman with the issue of blood. That's how she's known, the woman with the issue. It's really just a flowing of blood from somewhere in her body. We really don't know. Uh, she had a wound or a cut or a scar that never healed. Sound familiar? She had a wound or a cut or a scar that just never healed. And we don't know where that was in her body. Uh, doctors could tell you it, it has to do with various things. But for 12 years, her body is not doing what it's supposed to do, which is heal that wound. And she's bleeding out. She's gone to many doctors and never gotten better, instead gotten worse. And then in Mark, I, I, I kind of like the way Mark says it in Mark chapter 5, if we can put that up, says that when she heard about Jesus, and this was, there, 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 there's a lot of, context to this. Uh, she shouldn't even be in the crowd or be in the city because she is a woman who is bleeding. Therefore, she's unclean and she's making everybody unclean around her. But anyway, she heard about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Now, Mark tells us that the reason she did that, and that, that, that's a beautiful picture, it's a powerful picture of the human will, but the reason she did it is because she thought, <laughs> you might need to have a new thought you might, you might need to have a different thought than what you've been thinking. She didn't think, man, if he would just come down my street, if he would just come to my house, if he would just come outside the camp, which is where she probably was living, if he would ever just visit the place where the lepers are, the guy who apparently heals lepers, if he would just come on out here, but he doesn't. He always goes in there with all those rich people. So I'm just going to sit out here and just wait until he does what he's going to do. And it's, but no, she had a new thought. Maybe that's what she was thinking for 12 years. I don't know. 
Well, if God wants to do it, he's just going to do it. I mean, his will be done. I mean, I just, I don't know. He just doesn't want me to be healed. Maybe that, maybe those were the thoughts that were running through her head for 12 years. I don't know. But at this point, she had a new thought. And the thought that she had was, if I, (laughs) she had an if I thought. Not an if he, not an if them, not an if my family, not if somebody could pick me up and carry me over there, not if, not if this crowd would get out of the way. Like it, 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 it was an if I thought. And the if I thought was, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And so immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. What is that? That's the power of the human will. And, and this isn't just a, a motivational speech, because I'm sure on YouTube you could find some motivational speeches about, you know, th- to go work out or something. Now, you can do this. Just go do it. And it, and it really, and I mean, but they're, they're onto something, right? Because it, it works, because God has given each and every one of us a will, which is the power to press through something, to determine something. I mean, God even said in Genesis chapter, I think it was chapter 11, when they were building that tower, remember? Everybody has the same language. They're all in unity together, and they're building a tower. And the Bible says God came down from heaven to see what they were doing. Which is weird, because God can see from up there. I guess, I don't know. But it was, it's really, I think it's just language to let us know. God was super interested in what was going on. And he saw what they were doing, and then he said amongst himself, amongst the Godhead, he said, he said, look, they are of one language, they are in unity, and they have this thing called human will. And so what he said, his words, not mine, anything they propose, and maybe a better word, anything they decide, they will accomplish. That's God's commentary. That's not mine. That's not a humanist. That's God. He says, look, they are together. They are unified. They have one language. They have one goal. They have one agenda. And they have this thing that I gave them, which is the power of the human will, free will. Anything they decide, they will accomplish. What if you actually believed anything you decided you could accomplish? That's not, I'm not self-help. That's not self-help. That's God speaking about the power of the human will. And he said, I need to disrupt them. I need to confuse them because I can't dissuade them. And if God can't dissuade, <laughs> come on, man. If God can't change their mind, th- there is nothing as powerful as the made-up mind. And I know your society and our society has, has lied to us so often that we believe we are victims. And we believe that we have to wait for circumstances to align. But it's not true. And God doesn't talk to us that way because God knows the power of our will. And so he says, look, line up your will with my will and amazing things will start to happen. Just simply make a new thought in your brain that creates a new decision in your life and amazing things will start to happen. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then his blood does all the rest his blood takes care of all the rest but he engages our will he engages our ability to decide and to choose because he's been doing that ever since the very beginning ever since the garden he's been engaging the will of man he's been saying choose me decide for me and he's been risking suffering he's been risking loss. He's been risking all these things. And in fact, I mean, Jesus himself, right? God sends his son to a world that's going to reject him. 
God sends his son on a mission that looks like it's going to fail. God sends his son. The Bible says that he went to his own and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And so God sends his son knowing that he is going to be rejected. And, and, and in Ephesians chapter 5, actually, I mentioned about the marriage thing because we hear this a lot in marriage when we're counseling one spouse. Why do I have to be the first one to change? Or if, if, he's, not, if he's not on board, how is this ever going to work? Or if she's not on board, how is this ever going to work? We have those questions a lot because marriage is a two-person thing. Well, in Ephesians, Ephesians tells us exactly how this works. Ephesians says, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In other words, he went on a mission without knowing if it was going to succeed or not. He gave himself without knowing that he was going to be received or not. He loved without knowing that he was going to be loved back or not. But his one decision, his one uh, mission, which we're celebrating in the season, even though he actually wasn't born on December 25th, but his one mission has resulted in the salvation of many. His one mission has resulted in the love of many. So he gave himself for his church, and then 33 and a half years later, his church responded to him. And it might take 33 and a half years, but God thinks it's worth it in order for us to choose him. So he himself get, went against all odds and, and, and laid down his glory to come down to be with us and to be rejected, to be despised, but in order that he might lay, a, lay an example for us. How do you walk in the light? Well, I don't know if it's going to work. Well, you do it anyway. Well, it might be 30 years I'm stuck. Okay, well, you do it anyway. I might be fighting with this for 33. Okay, well, you do it anyway. Well, she might never give me a compliment for 33 years. Well, fine, you keep, you keep loving her anyway. And the transformational power of one person who's made up his mind. And God became man, and he, and he showed us the power of a made-up mind. And then alongside that, of course, his blood comes into play. And so for those Christians that are struggling with sin, I'd say make up your mind. And secondly, there's, there, there's another if we, if we go back to um, verse 8, I think it is. It says, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not inside of us, which is different than living the truth out of us. So he's really speaking to two different kinds of Christians here. The first Christian is a Christian who says, I have fellowship with God in my heart, but in my life, eh, I fellowship with other things occasionally. Um, but now he says to the Christian who says he has no sin. Well, who would say he has no sin? Well, it's easy. Uh, Oprah? <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, because inside you are people who say that babies are innocent people who say that that uh, on the inside of us is really just this this good this goodness we need to let the goodness out it's been covered by our environment and by our trauma and difficult things have got on top of the goodness but really underneath all of that there's just this beautiful goodness and just we need to release this goodness it was very uh, sort of politically correct actually to believe that people are genuinely good on the inside and yet John says, if we say that we have no sin, because notice he didn't say, if we say we don't sin, that would 
imply actions that we're doing. He's moved on from walking to having. He's moved on from doing to having. It's, it's different to do sin than to have sin. He says, look, if we say we have no sin, the, the word have is uh, echomen. Uh, it's from the root word echo, which means to hold something, but it means to hold it very closely. In fact, 22 times in the New Testament, it's translated to be something. You're holding something so close that you identify with it. Here he is talking about what I talked about before, which is original sin, and that is that if we say that we do not have a long lineage, thousands of years, generations worth of sin that we're carrying around with us, then we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, who would say that? Well, it's easy. The people who are really good at walking in the light would say that. You know, from the churches. That, 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 that focus only on external adherence to rules. Which, by the way, was one of the sects of, uh, sex, of, um, of, 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 of the Gnostic teachings. S-E-C-T-S. There, there was two different uh, versions of Gnosticism. The, the first one was, hey, you have fellowship with God on the inside, but on the outside, yeah, you're doing whatever. But there was a, another version which was completely the opposite of that, which said, no, 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 we have fellowship with God because we do all these really good things. We follow the rules. We, in fact, we observe the, the Jewish feast days. They encouraged men to be circumcised because apparently that's going to do something somehow. And, and it's like, okay, we follow all these rules. Now we're good. And so John is, within these two verses, he's dealing with these two different kinds of Christians, people within the church. On the one hand, you have people who say, I believe in God in my heart. My life just doesn't reflect it. And John says, that's, that's just not true. You don't really actually have fellowship with God. But on the other hand, we have people who say, no, I have fellowship with God because I keep all the rules. You know, and my will is super strong. And they, 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 they would. They would develop a very strong will. Fast once a week, your will gets a little bit stronger. And, and I don't think we have a whole lot of these people, but we do have some people who just believe that their adherence to rules or their ability to follow the rules very closely, this is where my salvation comes from. But John actually has a, has a commandment to those people. He said, look, if we say that we have no sin, if we say that we do not have a sin, I think a sin nature is the way theologians would, would say, or original sin or inbred sin, then we're deceiving ourselves. We're just, we're just lying to ourselves. I, I liked in Kairos where he talked about the word denial is actually, could be an acronym. Don't even know it's a lie. Because <laughs> you just keep saying it so much, you don't even know it's a lie anymore. And then you just, okay, am I good with God? Well, have I read my Bible yesterday? Did I pray yesterday? Then yes, I suppose I'm good with God. And, but no, there's more to it than that. John says, look, if we say we have no sin, if we say we don't, what he's dealing with with regard to sin, he's dealing with two things, the sickness and the symptoms. So to walk in the light is to deal with the symptoms of sin. Lust, cussing, rage, uh, uh, throwing the anger, um, hitting, stealing, abusive language, all that kind of stuff. That's the symptoms of sin. But underneath the symptom is a sickness. And you can, like, if you, if you start feeling nauseous, you can take some Pepto-Bismol, and that will deal with the symptom of nausea. But, from firsthand knowledge, it doesn't necessarily make the sickness go away. 
You still get the, the chills and the fever. You're still stuck in bed for, for like a day. It's just everything's in, inside. It just traps everything inside. And it's like a, it's like a force field, you know, that just like nothing, doesn't release anything. And it's like, it doesn't come out for days. I mean, it stays in there for a while until the Pepto wears off. But I mean, you, you, you end up shutting down the symptoms, but you don't really deal with the sickness. American medicine is actually really good at, at addressing symptoms because we just want our symptoms to be better. And truly, if you go to a church that emphasizes, you know, your actions and your behaviors, I guarantee your symptoms will be a lot better. Like you'll be more disciplined, you'll be better with your money, you'll be better in your relationships. I mean, honestly, your entire life will generally get somewhat better. But the problem is if the sickness isn't dealt with, if the, if the sickness isn't dealt with, it'll keep coming up in various places in your life. And you'll be like, oh, I thought I had that dealt with. I, I got to fight that giant again. I got to lap that mountain again. I got to deal. If you don't deal with the sickness. So John says, look, there are some Christians that are dealing with the symptoms or that are not dealing with symptoms, that are just letting them vomit all over everybody. He says, that's not okay. You need to deal with that. And the way you deal with that is you stop walking in darkness, you start walking in light, and you trust the blood of Jesus to deal with all of your sins. But the second group of people are the people that are working so hard to keep all of their symptoms in and keep the church face on and keep the, 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 the Texas politeness in there. And you, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll fight on your way to church, but as soon as you get there, it's like, kids, all right, you're gonna act right and you're gonna be nice, you're gonna just smile, you know, you're gonna be happy. We're a happy family. And you, you know, you go on, because, because you've got to, because you, the, the symptoms can't show. The problem is though, if the sickness remains, then God looks at the heart and John says, look, you can, you can deal with the symptoms, but man, you got to also deal with the sickness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but, and here's the solution. Okay. Well, how do I get rid of that? Right? Do I need to get on a new dietary regimen? Do I need to, uh, you know, only eat like Daniel ate for the rest of my life? Do I need to do I need to do something? No, no, no. You do something to get rid of the walking in darkness. That, that's the, what happens because you're dealing with sins that are out here. So you need to change things out here. But when you're dealing with sins in here, you need to change things in here. He says, no, you don't need to do something. You need to believe something. So he says. He says, if we uh, confess our sins. So on the one hand, if we say this and do that, that's a lie. Now here, if we claim this, that's a lie. But how we deal with that is if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, confession, well, that, that means I need to go, I need to remember every single sin. I need to list it out. No, that's Catholic confession. It's, that's, not, that's not biblical confession. Biblical confession literally just means to agree with God, to come into alignment, to agreement. So, okay, so what does that mean to, with regard to my sin? Well, it means to agree with God with, with regard to my sin to come into agreement with God with regard to my sin. One of the things that I've noticed is that people who struggle with this, they, they will not agree with God that they have sin. They'll look back on their, even, even stuff on the, uh, that 
occasionally pops out <laughs> on the outside. They'll be like, oh, well, I, I was just hungry or I was just, uh, I, was, I, was, I was tired, really tired, been under a lot of stress lately. Um, things have been going on, you know, with the pandemic and stuff. You might have heard about it. Uh, you know, and it's like, I, I don't know. Like they'll, they, when, when you're not good at agreeing with God, you get really good at making excuses about these different things that kind of pop up. And, 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 and as, a, as a parent, let's just put it, not, not as a pastor, because all of you guys are perfect, but as a parent, when my kids start throwing excuses to me about some of the things, the behavior that's popping up, I say, wait a minute, there's a reason why that behavior is popping up. And, I, and it's not even the behavior. I don't even want to deal with just the behavior. I want to talk about what's underneath the behavior. Because if we can talk about what's underneath the behavior, maybe we can come into agreement that there's something there. But what's, what the human nature is never to admit that there's something underneath the behavior. Nope, that was a mistake. That was, that was just, I, I just, I got overly excited. I wasn't yelling. I was just excited. <laughs> Interesting. You get excited over negative things all the time? Like, is this how this works? Like, yeah, like when the Cowboys play. But, but anyway, like to be excited over negative things, that is yelling. That's what that is, right? When you're chucking things at the TV, that is anger. That's what that is. When you, when you're, when you slam your controller down, that is anger. That's what that is. It just is. And so if we can have an open discussion about that, maybe we can come into agreement with God, not to make you feel bad, but to make you agree with God so that God can actually deal with the stuff that's underneath these random behaviors that just keep showing up. We must come into agreement with God about the sin, not that we've done, but the sin that we have, the sin that we've carried, the sin that we were born with. David said that it was in sin my mother conceived me, in, in, in iniquity that she brought me forth. So there's no such thing as an innocent child. They haven't done anything yet, but they are something already. They are selfish immediately. Anybody have kids? You know what I'm saying? They only think of themselves. They, they literally, they're not even like consciously aware of others for a couple of years. It's just because that's, that's the way we're programmed. But that's not the way Adam was built when God built Adam and he, and he saw Eve, he wasn't like, well, I wonder what she can do for me. It's not his response. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and join to his wife. He's thinking about what he can do for her. This is the way God created us to be. We were created to be selfless, but sin came into the world. And it has permanently, uh, for now, jacked up the human race. But God has an answer to it. And the answer is the blood of Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us. That's one thing he'll do of our sins and to cleanse us or purify us from unrighteousness. And God prophesied about this in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. We do have this verse up for you, Isaiah 53. I think it's verse 5. He says that the suffering servant, who's Jesus, that he will be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Notice he's talking to two different kinds of Christians here, and he's speaking to two different kinds of sins. He's wounded for our transgression. Transgression, that's when you break the law, transgress against the law. This is the external stuff. This has to do with your walk. You're breaking a known law of God, and you're just doing it because that's what you want to do. That's what you feel like doing, right? That's a transgression. Well, Jesus was wounded for those things. A wound is a, is a laceration on the outside of the body. 
And so he was cut on the outside of the body for the, for the wounds and the cuts that we would commit on the outside of our lives. He was wounded for our transgressions. Not as a, not, not as a, like a, a substitute. He wasn't like punished for us. He was wounded to bring healing to us. It wasn't just like, well, he took the beating. Now I guess we don't have to. That's not the point. He wanted relationship with us. Sure, once, 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 once you deal with the wounds, you no longer, once you deal with the sin, you no longer fear punishment because, well, there's no record of wrong against you. So why would anybody punish you? But the key is not, it's not all about God is angry and he wants to punish somebody. The deal is that we have sinned, we have committed transgressions, and there must be the shedding of blood to purify and wash that away. But when the shedding of blood happens and it pure and is applied to our lives, suddenly we can enter into fellowship and relationship with him because we don't have anything against him and he doesn't have everything against us we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus that's what we were he was wounded for our transgressions so that the blood could pour out on our transgressions but he was bruised for our iniquities now the word iniquity is different than transgression transgression is an external sin iniquity is the internal sin that we carry it's often called generational iniquity because it is passed down from generation to generation. It doesn't matter who your parents were. We are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And so we all have the iniquity, the sin within us. And John says, if you say you have no sin, then you're deceiving yourself. You are much better than you think you are. You need more than behavior modification. You need this right here, his bruises. He was bruised for our iniquity. What's a bruise? A bruise is an injury underneath the skin. It's an injury, it's a pooling of blood around usually uh, a part of the, the structure of the body, the skeleton, the bones. You bruise on your bones. You don't necessarily bruise on other things. I think you can bruise in your muscles. But your muscles and your bones are all part of the skeletal structure. He was wounded on the structural part of his body because at the very structural part of our souls, there is sin. At the makeup of who I am. At the, at the, at the, the, the <laughs> underneath the nucleus, you find the man and the gooey center. I forget the exact quote. You, you, you got to talk about Nacho in a sermon. But underneath the clothes, you find the man. Under the man, his nucleus. That's it. Uh, and, 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 and if Nacho would have kept going, under the nucleus, you find sin. You, saw, you find a desire to, to have glory to myself, to have all things to myself, to receive all things for myself, to use all things for me to worship me, idolatry, to bow down before me, to kneel before me, for me to be made much of, for me to be seen, for me to be known. And what's, what's, what's horrible is that very spirit can move right into the church, obey all the rules, and still desire that people would recognize me, and still desire that people would promote me, and still desire that people would give me opportunities to express more of my gifts and my calling so that more people could know more about how awesome I am. You have sinned. No, I don't. 
I'm good. I'm keeping all the rules. Have you seen my have you seen my, my Bible? All the little color markings I got in it. I got red, I got green, I got yellow. Those are all for different seasons of my life. I've read it so many times and I've built it out so much. And the problem is John says, look, if we say we have no sin, then we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not inside of us because he was wounded, yes, for your transgressions. You should receive his blood for the sins of your past and the sins of your present, but he was bruised for our iniquities. That he was, he had damage to his interior structure, a pooling of blood around the interior structure. Sin, for the sin that is not skin deep. For the sin that goes deeper than that. So how do I get rid of that? If we confess. If we agree with him. If we confess. You don't have to sit down and list all the sins you've ever committed. That's not what confession. Confession is to come into agreement with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us sins that we've committed and will cleanse us from sins that we are, unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is not an action. Actions come out of unrighteousness. But unrighteousness is a state of being. And John says, I'm concerned that in the church we have these two different thinking. On the one hand, it's like, I don't have to do anything. I'll just do whatever I want. And on the other hand, boy, if I just do everything right, then I'll be pleasing to God. Then, then I'll have a place in heaven. And, and who knows, maybe I'll be a little higher than that guy. <laughs> who knows, maybe I'll, I'll get to sit on his right hand and maybe, maybe so-and-so will sit on his left. Remember, that's what John's mom wanted. So John knows a little bit about keeping the rules. John knows a little bit about feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm ready for this. And Jesus says, yeah, but can you drink the cup that I'm going to be drinking of? Because it, it really doesn't have anything about where you sit. It has to do with, with, with are you ready to serve? Because I'm about to drink this cup for the sins of the world. Are you ready to drink the cup for the sins of your generation? Are you ready to, 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 to shoulder the burden with me? And they're like, well, yeah, definitely, because we have no sin. We're good to go. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, We'll see about that. You will actually drink of the cup, but there's a lot for you to learn between now and then. You must come into agreement with God. We all must come into agreement with him. And so wherever you are right now, I just want to give you an opportunity to start that journey because it, it is a journey. Really, it could happen right now. I mean, truly, you're as free as you believe you can be. And so literally, if you just change your your mind right now and come into full agreement with God, then I believe he would show you exactly the sins that are underneath the behavior. And because you would be ready to hear it. And you would say, yes, that's it. And you would say, cleanse me of that. And, and then he would say, do you believe that I can cleanse you of that? Because you've been carrying it for 32 years You've been carrying it for 40 years. You've been carrying it for so long. Do you really believe I can cleanse you of that? And honestly, then it will probably be a battle between you and your mind for the next week or two weeks. Yeah, no, yes, uh, probably, I don't, I don't know. Because, because it requires faith. Confession requires faith. Agreement requires faith. And so then there will probably be a battle for the next few weeks. And all during Christmas, you'll kind of be struggling. Ah, can God do it? Can I, I don't know. And it will ruin your Christmas. And you won't be in the Christmas spirit. You won't be in the people being, what's wrong with you? You don't seem too happy. And so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to align myself with God. But man, what kind of year would 2021 be? 
If in the year 2021, that was the year where you laid down your old you, if that was the year that you actually allowed the word of God to be true for you, not just for other people, but for you, and if you actually believe that he was able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, not just most of it, not just the stuff you did yesterday, but cleanse you from all unrighteousness, what would it look like? You'd say, well, I, I guess I probably wouldn't be hanging out with those people. I probably would never do that again. I can't imagine never doing that again. Okay, well, that's because you can't believe it yet. You have to believe that God can do it. You are as free as you believe you can be. And so really it comes down to believing the word of God. Is God tricking us in 1 John? Is he dangling a carrot and saying, all right, just walk in the light. <laughs> that was funny. Go ahead, try again. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, let's just see that. Or is he being honest with us? Is he extending an invitation to us? Saying, look, the rules of man, no, you're not going to live up to those. But you can walk in the light by my grace, by my power. So, Father, we come to you right now, and there's a battle going on in people's hearts and people's minds. And it's a battle that you desire to win. It's a battle that you came to win. And I pray that you would win. I pray that faith would win. I pray that truth would win. I pray that your word would win. That no matter how long it takes, that your word would win. That no matter how long we have to wrestle with it, that your word would win. That we would stand on your word and that, as Scripture says, that everybody else would be a liar, including ourselves, including our own opinion. All of that would be mistaken, it would be wrong compared to the word of God.